welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vicini. We're presented by The Athletic today on the show. It's the Madhouse over in the Matthew Penny residence. How's it going, guys? Uh, it's going great in the house. I think I'll, I'll speak for my collective residential unit. It's like 100 degrees. Feels like 150 degrees. Uh, I'm, I'm ready. We're going to power through. I'm, I'm happy to talk about draft talk here despite the temperature and smoke alarm going off downstairs with pizza being made. My son's staying up. We got to stay focused. Yeah, typically uh, the, the way that we record is Penny, who has a child. I do, um, yes. Yeah, Penny, the, the one of us here that has small children that he has to care for, or a small child, uh, puts his child to bed and then goes and comes in podcasts after. Tonight, uh, you know, little Penny decided not to not to go to bed. So it's been a it's been a aggressive little evening here in the Penny house. No one wants, no one wants to go to bed. He knows that the he knows that the party's starting. He doesn't want to miss part of it. That's all. You yeah, might be able to hear some uh, some errant screams in the background as he's holding on for dear life, watching the end of some YouTube videos down down the uh, the living room. What what is what is Mini Penny's favorite YouTube video? What what type of video are we talking here? Oh, di- we're on to we're, we transition from trucks to dinosaurs. So it's kids dinosaurs. It's it's whatever dinosaur stuff pops up. That's the that's the flavor of the week of the month, which is good for me because I grew up a. A huge Jurassic Park fan didn't force it on him, so we're we're building up to those scenes. He's two, so we haven't made it full. Uh, full T Rex gets loose in the park yet. Jesus, your your son is very big for being two. You sent me a photo earlier. I didn't I didn't realize he was only two. <laughs> yeah, two two and a half, two and a half. You asked yeah. if I was ready to podcast. Said yeah, he's uh, we're close. Yeah, we're we're closing in. That that child is going to be a basketball player. There's no question <laughs> I, I about so. that. I hope so. As long as we don't have to pay for college, whatever he does. <laughs> Okay, so we're going to talk a little bit about Shaquille O'Neal today uh, in more of a fun conversation than anything. Then we're going to talk about NBA Draft Combine things. And then after that, we are going to discuss, uh, I don't know, maybe some recruiting guys that have blown up. Maybe, uh, you know, we're, we're going to start letting Penny just shout out guys on the maybe the Under Armour circuit. Maybe the, you know, he went to Nepsack this weekend, right? I did. Yeah, some good guys there. So we're going to talk uh, a little bit about a couple of recruiting uh, players that really, or recruits, I guess, that stood out to Matt as he goes through the process of summer basketball for the first time in two years, basically, right? All the way back into it. Yeah, it's been been almost two years, and now it's we're, we're closing in. We've got three straight weeks in July of live period with college coaches on the road. College coaches are just out for the first time at high school events. Now it's on to non-scholastic events, which is what I actually get paid to do. Okay. So let's first talk about Shaquille O'Neal. So Shaquille O'Neal and Charles Barkley last night got into one of their uh, heated, miniature little, I don't even want to say kerfuffle. It feels like they just, you know, kind of jokingly yell at each other from time to time. And uh, Shaquille O'Neal was talking about how Trey Young just had a bad game defensively, whereas Charles Barkley was trying to like explain what the Bucks were doing defensively to make him have a bad game. It just turned into a mess where Shaq started talking about you couldn't defend the pick and roll, or uh, Charles Barkley started telling Shaq he couldn't defend the pick and roll, and then Shaq started t- telling Charles Barkley that he couldn't ever in a defend anyone. Period, and it, it just devolved right as inside the NBA does. It's just the best show on the planet when it comes to basketball. But it kind of jogged in my mind an interesting discussion that continues to happen just randomly, and I, I wanted to have it on the show. Penny, you're a child of the 90s. You grew up I watching am. 
Shaquille O'Neal into the early 2000s. Uh, Shaquille O'Neal is like one of the first like formative players of my life. And every once in a while we hear these theories about how he would play in today's NBA because the modern NBA is drastically different even from what it looked like 20 years ago. And I thought it'd be a fun conversation just to discuss how good do we think Shaquille O'Neal would be if we plopped him, exactly him, down into 2021 and just let it go. It it feels sacrilegious for me to throw any shade toward one Shaquille O'Neal. As you mentioned, the Orlando Magic were my first and only starter jacket back in 1992. So we're really like, we're getting way back here. I got to be careful. But when you look at current NBA bigs that sort of live in the world of, of hulking size. We've watched, and this is this will be some recency stuff, but Joel Embiid hasn't gotten out of the second round yet. Is that right? Yeah, Joel has not gotten out of the second round because of the Kawhi Leonard shot. And, and sorry, yeah, and he wasn't out. So Nikola Jokic, we just watched, was swept by the Suns without Jamal Murray. He wins MVP in a year where lots of players were injured not 100%, which is kind of how I'd see Shaq in today's game. Maybe he wins... A lot of regular season MVPs, despite only winning one during his playing days. I, I see it as despite Shaq's size and offensive power explosion on that side of the ball, he would be put into ball screens really all day long with guards coming off firing when he plays drop coverage. So he, he would definitely be a drop big. Like there's no. Ask right. No, yeah. it's the one. The younger days at LSU, some of those highlights, like he could move a little bit, but by year three, I think he'd be in drop coverage. Oh, even even early NBA career, people forget how athletic Shaquille O'Neal is, first and foremost. Like, he was not just the big, hulking, like, enormous dude. He was laughably athletic for how big he was, especially, like, like year three in Atlanta, where he averaged, like, 29 points. I think he averaged 29, like, in year two, even, to be honest. Like, this dude was, like, tearing down rims. He was (laughs) moving. Physically tearing down baskets, right. Yeah, I mean... It was a joke how athletic Shaquille O'Neal was. So, yes, I understand that he would be put into pick and roll coverage every day. I also think he would still win MVPs in the NBA today. I am so so more so. He was, and correct me if I'm wrong here. I think one regular season MVP and three Finals MVP when he played. Yes, I believe that is correct, and he. Yeah, he won the 2000 Most Valuable Player Award. Uh, in terms of like finishes in the MVP race, he finished first in 2000. He finished second in 2005, third in 2001 and 2002, second in 1995, fourth in 1998, fourth in 1994. Uh, so it was a perennial in the conversation. top five to seven player in the NBA. Uh, in frankly, was probably the most dominant force in the NBA uh, in the post-Michael Jordan era. Uh, Obviously, whenever you're competing against Michael Jordan in the first part of his career for MVPs, it's going to be a little bit tough. But, you know, in in what was, in my opinion, his biggest season, the one where he led the league in scoring, David Robinson won MVP that year. I'm you know, I'm not I'm not going to sit here. and No, that was that that was the uh, the scoring battle the last game of the year, right? When David Robinson went out and scored 60 or 70 to win by point one or something? No, I think, I think that, that was the year before, if memory serves. Yeah, that, okay. that was the year before. Um, 
But I, I just say all of this, like, I don't want to litigate like David Robinson versus Shaquille O'Neal for MVP, right? Like, I, I just do want to say that th- this guy was dominant from the moment that he stepped in the league. I, I think he would be a better Joel Embiid than what you know Joel is now, essentially. He's different because he's much more post-oriented, but he was also so good on the block that I think it you just shape your offense around that and you'd surround him with shooters now and just make it work. Like you wouldn't run the triangle. You would run like five or four out around one where he sometimes sets ball screens for shooters and then tries to like seal and post inside or tries to rim run or late in the shot clock, he's throwing the ball on the block and he scores. It also shows how much the game has evolved defensively. He was three-time NBA All-Defensive team when, yes. when he played, and, and now my first argument is he can't play defense. And it was a little bit with later in the series of Rudy Gobert, just schematically what they did to attack him because he's a better, somewhat off-ball, like weak-side defender rotator than he was on the ball. And even like Jokic's stuff, when they put him in all those action, all those screens, he looks worse than he actually is. With the offense for Shaq, I, I'm with you on his his block and post play. Like he's impossible to stop then, and even later in his career, when his feet weren't quite there, he was still able to carve out his space, turn, hit a jump hook, dunk on people. I I question if you could play him to close games in seven game series now with his free throw percentage uh, career 53 percent. Most teams go small. Would you take a chance and play a guy like that, and then knowing? When you take it down, he's got to play defense. It's going to be still pick and roll into hack-a-shack as, as soon as it's on the catch. Uh, he probably gives enough offensively where you'd, you'd see how long it plays out. But when you get into these playoff series, more stuff is exposed when it's uh, it's different matchups. But the, the, the scouting report is so laser-focused on what guys can't do. And we saw that with Ben Simmons with some of his shooting stuff. I think Shaq would be picked on a little bit more than he was previously when he did play. I think you're 100% right. The teams would pick on him. Like, there's no question. They would try and pull him out every single possession. I just think he'd shut down the paint. He was so, like, that's the other thing about him. Like, he's so big and so long and so strong that, like, it's just hard to score on that dude in the paint. Like, he was all defense because it was really hard to score on him in the interior. I, I, I just find it hard to believe that the right coach couldn't bring that out of him. Like the right coach would figure out, Hey, let's run four around one with athletic wings. Let him shut down the paint, switch everything one through four, find four guys that can shoot and switch and just go from there. Yeah. In the nineties, he he did have a little bit of that though. And I I remember those teams with Nick Anderson on one wing and Dennis Scott on the other. I know it's very different. People didn't shoot nearly as many three pointers and, the game is way more spaced out and you could maybe do the counter argument that because it's so spaced out and if Dennis Scott was taking more threes he'd have more one-on-one isolations of the post without the opportunity for teams to double too yeah and look like Nick Anderson and Dennis Scott like they were taking six threes a game like they would be taking maybe eight now but it's not like they were like minimal you know spacers having said that like Horace Grant was starting next to Shaq a lot of the time and like no disrespect to Horace Grant who was a phenomenal player but you know not really a three-point floor spacer like that guy would be replaced now as good as Horace Grant was you know genuine like made an all-star game you know was a double-digit scorer for many years like really really high-level defender that guy would be replaced now with someone like Harrison Barnes who can shoot threes 
Right. Right. But but that like style of playing two bigs who aren't necessarily shooters was prevalent in the nineties. Totally. Too. They weren't yeah. they weren't a standalone in doing that. No, hundred percent. And it made total sense why they did it at that time because teams just didn't take as many threes so shutting down the paint was so much more valuable like they were at the forefront really of taking threes like penny hardaway was taking three threes a game i would imagine that in 1995 like that was probably pretty high up there in terms right. of some of those are probably questioned it was probably he's taking too many threes and not enough mid-range jumpers and not enough stuff toward the basket right uh by the way this, this orlando team dropped a 115.1 offensive rating in 1995 that is <laughs> like banana land in terms of advanced numbers like they were probably i'm looking it up now um they weren't like drastically ahead of the sonics but the sonics were another team that had great interior presence as well as great um guard play and had a couple of shooters like Detlef shrimp then everything um parks and rec legend Detlef shrimp just gotta love that guy um but like dropping a 115 offensive rating when your pace of play is like 95 possessions a game like that's fucking bonkers to me um shaquille o'neal would i think he would utterly dominate would and here's the other thing too you wouldn't be able to play small against them meaning every single time that you're on offense you also have the ability to string out a big in pick and roll yeah there would be some chess matches between head coaches how they do it too maybe some offense defense looks different stuff coming out of timeouts versus you show them a quick zone you'd have to the the way Shaq dominated you definitely have to show them different looks and couldn't keep running with the same stuff i guess really on on both sides of the ball it's a fun experiment and it's it's i don't know what Shaq would look like here in his peak and the same thing i wouldn't know if you plopped uh, peak bill russell into today's game or or peak Giannis back into the 90s game it, they're fun conversations to have but like we'll, we'll yeah. never really have a, a clear picture of how it would end up as a as an end result yeah no we unfortunately will not i forgot 1995 was like a weird offensive explosion year that like offensive rating is actually pretty normal if i remember correctly like it's it was first in the league but like not like totally absolutely crazy from what i remember now um okay so what do you think Shaq would top out at in the nba like is he an all nba player is he oh yeah an MVP? He's, still, he's, he's, he, he's still that i think okay. he's all that my, my only hesitation is how many championships they win i wouldn't say he's going to be shut out but i, I do get concerned in, in seven game series if he gets worn out even if they win the first couple rounds maybe if he's still in the magic to make it the eastern conference finals maybe he's out of gas from defending 50 ball screens a game for the last 20 games and fatigue sets in and he collapses a little bit he he capture one or two i don't know if he'd have this string of five championships or anything like that and then finally I think the point about him being like strung out in ball screens and getting tired is like absolutely an astute one. I do wonder if he would have stayed in shape longer. And by like stayed in shape, I mean like what he was when he was in Orlando, like peak Orlando athletic Shaquille O'Neal. Because yeah, not, not Boston Celtic Shaquille O'Neal. Yeah, or like frankly, not like Phoenix even Suns. but like even the Lakers Shaquille O'Neal like got hefty, you know? Yeah. No, he did. He, he looked like a different guy. And Shaq's one of these enormous human beings that you don't really appreciate it till you stand next to him or walk yeah. by him. And he did some stuff when, when we were at Reebok. 
and you try not to be in awe, but he's one of these just these people, these figures. Like, oh my gosh, like this this guy's enormous. I can't imagine. The first thing I thought of because I'm weird is like I can't imagine trying to block this guy out on a miss in the post because that's what I would be asked to do as some yeah. random guy. Like, yeah, block out check. Yeah, like you are six foot fucking nine, Penny. Like <laughs> yeah. you are you are no, an enormous no. human. Yeah, but you know you know those clips of Shaq taking like one just like drop step and the guy like goes in the third row and he hits him with his hip. I'd be in like the tenth row. Like that's right. how how big the guy is. Yeah, that's right. the difference. That's <laughs> like, why I'm here with you and not on inside the NBA. Oh and those my are the God. the things that separate us. Oh my God! Uh, finally, I, I will just note uh, for the record, I am on team. Shaq was better than Kobe. That is that is a oh, firm man. take. Of don't mine. don't look. I am. Uh, I'm going to whisper this. I am too. But don't put that in the uh, the title of the of the podcast. You don't need that off the jump without people listening to the context of the whole thing. Title of the podcast was no, Shaq no, better than Kobe. <laughs> no, um, how? No, dare I, you. I think he was. I think he was just the most dominant physical force in the NBA for the post Michael Jordan era. I mean, from 1999 basically until the title year in Miami. From you know, what was that? It'd be 2005 if I remember correctly. Um, I mean, it's just unbelievable. He was so exceptional, especially in those. In the Lakers three-peat, I mean, he was very clearly their best player during that three-peat. And it, it was just, it was incredible to watch him. At his peak, he was absolutely, unbelievably good. Yeah, and, and he, over time, you kind of just forget about that, too. And when we were texting earlier, I started looking back. And I don't remember, like, a, a ton of basketball then, just the way teams played and, and pace and space and shooting threes and getting up and down. And I didn't realize their offensive rating was that high either. So it's it's fun to look back and also see kind of, like, how things change, too. And yeah. and for Shaq, you know, fun note, he, he did end up coming back to Celtics. But he was in that game in 1995 where they, they knocked the Celtics out, and that was, like, the last game, the last basketball game at the old Boston Garden, too. So you you just are a Shaq hater because of it? No, no, I, I, I love I, I love Shaq and Penny. I had a Shaq and Penny <laughs> poster growing up. It's it's just one of those weird ones. You split a little bit. Yeah, no, uh, it's it, I go back. I would implore everyone to just you know stop this podcast for a minute, just for a minute, <laughs> and then come back to it and just go watch Shaquille O'Neal highlights from like Jeez. any anywhere. First, start watching the Orlando highlights when he was still athletic and was like was just a total joke. Like he was literally unstoppable. I don't understand how anyone figured out how to deal with him when he was in Orlando because he was so freaking athletic at that point. He was like bouncy and explosive at mm-hmm. that point. And then go and, back and diving and, for loose balls and diving for loose balls and like literally tearing rims down. Um, and then go and watch him with the Lakers once he like really genuinely like figured out how to play defense and like figured out how to just straight up dominate dudes on the block. Like it was, I mean, the, the, he was unbelievably good. His may, maybe he didn't have as good of a career as Kobe Bryant. Like maybe that's like the fair way to put it. But at his peak, he was better than Kobe Bryant. More impactful at, yes. at what he did. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's take a quick commercial break, and then we're going to talk about the Combine. Okay, and we're back. We are going to talk about the NBA Draft Combine. And Penny, I think, brought up a really good point, and I do want to start 
here before we jump into anything else. So I feel like once the combine comes around every year, we end up just talking about, oh my God, X player performed well in this singular five on five game. Uh, you know, Y player is so much more athletic than uh, what we thought. You know, Joe Wieskamp is the intersection of both of those things uh, <laughs> right. within this conversation, right? Because Wieskamp tested out of the gym, is, has a 6'11 wingspan, dropped 27 points in a scrimmage, right? Um, mm-hmm. I think sometimes we lose the forest for the trees. Now, in the case of Wieskamp, like, I've had Wieskamp top 50 the whole year. Like, I, I really like Joe. I think he's a really good player. So whenever I move him up to 36 or so, it's like, okay, like, I'm not spiking a dude. It's that, hey, he had a good week, and it translated really well on the court next to NBA size, or at least relative approximation of NBA size with NBA spacing. And you can see a picture of how it works. But it's still just two games, and I think that what Penny wanted to talk about is what is the balance of all of this? So I'll just kind of let you – how do we balance uh, the evaluation process going from tape to combine to measurements, et cetera? How do we stop getting yelled at on social media for ranking guys too high or too low? That, that's the that's the real foundation of this thing. But the, the whole – draft process has me drawn to one of my favorite tv dramas of all time which is the wire so to set the scene detective lester freeman is explaining to detective presbalewski to not write off anything in their tapping of cell phone conversations during the construction of their wiretap case and reminds him we're building something here detective we're building it from scratch all the pieces matter and that phrase all the pieces matter had me rethinking the combine because the last pod and throughout the year we had some hits had some misses had a few people chirping how johnny juzang didn't play well how joe Wieskamp had 26 and 10 as a first round guy and it's more of a, a friendly reminder a reset that we have a full season of game tape most guys with 30 plus games we have the ncaa tournament that whole run we have measurements and testing from the combine we have well, five and- on five and you bring up 30 games, like that's a drastic understatement on a sure, lot of this, but, too. Because, like, like we one can, guys, the one and done guys, you, you at the very least, you have that versus college level competition for 30 right. games. But, like, here's the thing, like, and you know this as well as anyone, I mean, like, I can go back now, I can look at the Under Armour circuit, like, for yeah, someone, right. uh, I'm trying to think, like, who was on your circuit? Well, um, I mean, Jalen Suggs is, is right there. Right. Jaden, Jaden Springer is right there, a guy that polarizing. Some have 10, some have 50. Right. Like I can go back to the 2019 20 season and find Jalen Suggs tape on the Under Armour circuit. You know what I mean? And I can like, I can go totally. watch essentially 60 games of Jalen Suggs. And I've gone back and I've watched, you know, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say that I've done like the deep dive that teams have, or at least like the deep dive that the Toronto Raptors will do before taking Jalen Suggs, right? Um, if they end up getting him at number four. Like, I, I have not done that extensive of a dive where I've watched every single AAU game, but I've gone back and watched three or four, that's for sure, mm. just to try and center where I'm at on these guys because I think it's important to understand the growth trajectory. So if you think that... NBA teams haven't gone back, and I know you don't think this, Matt. Like, NBA teams, before they select a guy, once they figure out they're interested in him and, like, have genuine interest based off the college tape, 
they are going to go back and do the deepest of deep dives possible. And they're going to have watched between the, you know, four guys, five guys that are like really digging into tape in their office. They're going to have watched probably 50 games of each guy at some point. While also scrubbing every social media post ever, every tweet ever. Yep. You name it. Talk to the, the secretary or old school. It, it sounds like this story we trot out every year, but there's actual truth to it when you talk to some people and, and see the level of research and commitment teams have. Because these are tens of millions of dollars of decisions and a swing that has jobs on the line every year if you pick wrong. So just to kind of put a bow on the other stuff, you also have Pro Day run by agencies where everyone looks good. But we have to step away and just see the whole picture that the pieces that go into ranking a guy for a draft position matter in different ways. It doesn't have to be an absolute or one thing takes full precedent over the other, especially when we're talking about kind of don't be prisoner of the moment with NCAA tournament. Well, don't be prisoner of the moment of the combine either. A guy played two games, maybe didn't shoot it quite as well, wasn't in the flow of how offense would normally be. Maybe that's not the whole thing either. Naturally, I'm similar to you where some guys are just going to rise and fall and not going to ride out on guys who are shaky on. But if you feel good about a prospect and sorry enough and measured close enough, I don't think you have to do anything dramatic either. No, I'm with that. I'm definitely with that. So, like, let's let's take some you know examples here. I think of players. Well, even before we do that, I want to say, first and foremost, the thing that matters above all to me, it is the number one thing is going to be what a guy does on tape. Just straight up. Like, I I care so much more about how good a player is when the games matter and when they're playing hyper-competitive environments and within the structure of their college team and even, you know, going back to high school like i said we we can get up to 60 games of these guys you know someone like austin reeves i mean we've seen austin reeves probably play 120 college games (laughs) right right? at different spots Um, right at different spots so that is what matters most to me i I would say it's 80 percent of the game like at least if not more um what does a guy do on tape how impressive is he um what 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 does that mean? How does it translate to what the game looks like at the next level? You're going to learn most of what you need to know based off of the tape, but you're not going to learn it all. I think that that is the critical thing. And that goes into the the whole combine, the, the actual benefits of it. And I'm not crushing it either. When you go in and, and actually see what a guy measured out at without sock, what, I'm sorry, without shoes, and then with shoes, what his wingspan is, if it's it's a plus number, it's a negative number, those play into it. It wouldn't make me cross a guy off the board unless he was kind of far enough down where I wasn't really sold and that made me lean that one direction. But I'm, I'm also not getting excited if somebody sets the three-quarter court sprint record, but the tape doesn't back it up, that really doesn't right. have to sway my opinion in that direction. Right. So so let's talk about Wieskamp, because Wieskamp is like the poster child for this, right? Joe Wieskamp, I've liked all year, because Joe Wieskamp, I knew, was six foot seven, or at least like six, six and a half, six, seven and a half, you know, something in that ballpark, and could shoot 46% from three, mm-hmm. And do it off of movement, do it off of handoffs, do it off of a lot of different things. It's really hard to find guys that are that tall who can shoot at that level. That's a skill set that plays in the NBA. Now, we can maybe make a case that Iowa's scheme, which is great on offense, but was built around Luca Garza, who is a post guy, maybe didn't allow Joe Wieskamp to get the most out of his athleticism. But at the end of the day, Joe Wieskamp also plays pretty tall and high 
right? And I think he doesn't get as much out of his explosiveness as what these testing numbers would indicate, right? Yes, without question. And and for for some of the indications on the test, too, and you had him in the 50s. I was a little bit lower, and and clearly I'm going to have to bump him up because the measurables check out. And on top of that, He's in phenomenal shape. He's 4.1% body fat, which was tied for second lowest next to Ease Ponds, who is 4%. So 0.1 off the, the first place line. Fourth in Max Vert at 42 inches, seventh in the three-quarter court sprint. And, yeah, it helps. He had 26 and 10 and was six or seven from three and made shots on the move with his feet set in transition. But, but you know what, though, Matt? Like, I'll say this. I don't care that the shots went in. Like, I, re- I Ooh, don't. I, I, you got to care a little bit because we're, we'll probably talk about a few guys in about – five minutes here who went two for 10 and we're going to say, yeah, they're, they went down 10 spots. But, but here, here's the thing though. Like we know that Joe Wieskamp can shoot. What, what I care is how does he look moving off of NBA actions? How does he look? Yes. Does he stop moving? Is he someone that is just going to stand still and wait for a spot up? I think that that is so much more important and relevant to the process. And that's why I tweeted after the first game that he played where he had nine points or whatever. And I felt the same about Quentin Grimes too. I tweeted, Hey, I thought they looked really good on the court. I thought that their games made sense. I was impressed by what I saw of them. And then both of those guys went out the next day and dominated. But like, I was impressed with them regardless of if the shots went in, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I do, and he did have that banana second game, and one of the notes I wrote down from the first game was that he'll move the ball, he doesn't forward if the sh- force if the shot isn't clean. So when they started closing out hard to him, he'd shot fake, take one dribble in, and if a second guy rotated, he just moved the ball, he'd just swing it. He wouldn't try to like get his own or show he could take one more dribble and try to dunk and have that 42-inch max vert where there were other players and prospects who were so sped up and just wanted to show yep. every time he touched the ball they could score. He played within himself and then had enough scoring opportunities and chances on the second day to put up 20-plus points. And people say, okay, well, with 20-plus points, he shot 40%-plus from three during the season. He's six seven plus a six eleven wingspan. He's going to do it within the flow of the offense. That's intriguing for a league that needs floor spacers, always. And then on top of that, like let, let's look at someone like Kessler Edwards, right? I, I would argue that Kessler did look sped up. Like That's a perfect example of someone that I think you are dead on about in terms of... Uh, offensively, yes. Offensively didn't look quite as good as what we expected. But you know what? Kessler Edwards is a kid coming from Pepperdine, where the game speed is even lower than like the Big Ten, where Wieskamp was playing. But we have a track record of 503 pointers where Kessler Edwards has made 39.5% from three. What I care about most is that Kessler Edwards was flying off of screens. He was moving. He made the offense make sense, it felt like. And then on top of it, he was by far the best defender in those five-on-five games. I don't even think it was close. He was the only guy that could shut down Bones Highland in the first game, and he was absolutely terrific again in the second game, and actually answered some real questions there about how does he look moving up to different levels of competition, of quickness of guards. I mean, fuck, if you can deal with Bones Highland, you're going to be able to deal with a lot of different guards out on an island. Yeah, if you're on Bones Island to another island. If the offense doesn't click for him, I do have questions on what's a comfortable draft range the defense it should look translatable he was switching he was making contact on screens he was boxing out turning his man off the dribble he stayed with the driver and then blocked the guy shot the rim i was impressed by 
that piece of it, I would hope that the offense was a little bit more, uh, I, I guess, more comfortable for him. I, I could tell that he was sped up a little bit, and you could see some of the offensive inefficiencies, but the defense did shine enough that I don't think NBA teams were totally turned off by what they saw. Maybe encouraged that the defense was so much farther along and they could get the offense to maybe catch up if you tweak the shot a little bit. Yeah. Um, so in terms of like what, what matters here, what what is important about going to these games and you know or you know watching them on TV because I'm over in Australia, right? I, I think it's important just to note that like the tape matters way more. And just about every team that I talk to, the tape matters way more. Like th- there are there are exceptions to that, and some guys yes. really, some teams really do value seeing what these guys look like in workouts, like at their facilities, and they value what the combine looks like. But for the most part, like most teams really care about the tape, and they're going to fall back on that. That's not to say that guys can't really help themselves. Like Joe Wieskamp helped himself. Like I think Joe Wieskamp probably locked himself into a top 45 draft selection this week if not yes. even higher than that yes someone my, like my, go ahead no so i was gonna throw it back to you about quentin grimes and the reason i say that is quentin grimes shot a little quick numbers crunch for it shot 40 percent from three this year 248 attempts is that good 30 i think that's good uh he shot 34 percent as a freshman 159 attempts 33 percent as a sophomore 129 attempts those numbers alone some scouts would say his junior year uptick in percentages was anomalous and not really the way he can shoot then he kills the combine five on five hit everything i think it was like nine for 16 from three and we've sort of given him the hand wave like yeah no it's good enough he's a shooter so comparatively davion mitchell who did not play in the five on five shot 45 percent from three over 30 games this year on 141 attempts his freshman year he shot 29 percent on 52 attempts so that almost doesn't count sophomore year shot 32 percent on 105 attempts but his shooting which i think and you please correct me if i'm wrong here by many in nba draft world it's like a question mark if it's real so if davion came out and played the five on five and say he went four for seven would we have said like yeah no he's a shooter now like that's good the 45 percent is actually real i think the people that are unconvinced by Davion Mitchell shooting would remain unconvinced had he played five on five and done that. You know what I mean? I do. It, it's more I'm asking under the the pretense of Quentin Grimes is is going to go up draft boards. I, I had him somewhere in the fifties. He's going to be higher than that. But Quentin Grimes' numbers were forty percent from three during the year, and we didn't really worry about Quentin Grimes being able to shoot. Now. Beyond the shooting, he did do a lot more in that five-on-five. Five. He showed yep. a complete set of tools of he crashed the glass. Uh, the short corner, he saw a cutter. He passed well off the dribble. And then, yeah, he had 27 points on 7 or 12 from three. So there are other things he did, too, that maybe kind of elevated his draft stock. The shooting still stands out as, as a guy that you wanted to see if it would work in, in this type of atmosphere. So and, and here's why it's because they're a genuine why I'm more bullish on Quentin Grimes shot. It's because there are genuine mechanical changes that he's made to be able to get the shot off like his shot prep now before he catches is unbelievable. He is yeah. always ready. He's sitting down. He is on the catch ready to fire takes him off the hop and just goes right really quick release really great balance through the shot like everything looks good with Quentin Grimes. There's real rhythm to the shot now. That That's a genuine skill improvement that he's made. 
in someone like Davion's case as well, I think Davion has made very real skill improvements to the way he shoots, period. So I'm trying to think of like another example. So let's let's go back to Kessler Edwards, right? I think the reason that teams are a little bit more worried about Kessler as a shooter, and I, I don't even think these are like invalid, his mechanics are messy. Like he kind of shoots it like off of like a push shot at the top, and then he has like a weird split legged like uh kick flail you know, flop kick, something finish. It's, it's strange it's not a yeah it's, it's kind of like up and down like it's back to it but it, he kind of like curves forward then gets back to landing it's, it's unorthodox well and the big thing with that is that with his shot teams are just gonna sprint him off the line and just make him dribble and drive and finish and he was an okay finisher this year he wasn't like great he's not great at putting the ball on the deck and like making decisions that's where he's really gonna have to improve because whenever those mechanics translate to the pull-up, he can't make them. The ball comes out super flat. It doesn't look super clean on the ball pickup. Like, you watch some of his misses. I think I went back and watched all of his pull-ups this year. There are some, like, disaster fucking misses in those pull-ups. <laughs> yeah, yep. So you just have to look at it, and you have to look at the whole picture. And I think that that's why teams feel a lot more confident about Quentin Grimes' shot than they do about Kessler's. The mechanical adjustments and improvements that Quentin has made make a lot of sense, whereas the mechanics and the way that Kessler shoots just don't inspire as much confidence for teams right now. While also noting Quentin Grimes to me he looked very loose out there and i say that positively he, it was similar yeah. to how he carried himself in high school he played with such a confidence and and did a lot more than being a standstill shooter kansas fans would probably say we're crazy if we told them that somehow he became a, a top 35 top 40 pick because after that sophomore year there they're like yeah okay like i, I get it like he's got to go like whatever it, it is what it is i mean but he went to houston and, and regained his form and I'm well, not saying this was like his draft range out of high school, but he's getting closer to like that type of prospect, not the top 10 guy, but somebody who is mentioned at least like borderline first round, right? Like, he's, well, you said like regained his form. He, he didn't regain anything. And he was like other than college. I just want to clarify that and catch myself there. He was at Kansas yeah. for one year, Houston for two. Yeah, like, he didn't regain anything other than confidence from the time at Kansas. Like, he has totally refashioned his game and changed the way that he plays. Coming out of high school, Quentin Grimes was a point guard. He was a lead guard. He won the MVP of the wow. FIBA Americas U18. Like, it's one of those things where everyone thinks they're a point guard in high school, though. I, I totally get your point. But it, it was I never saw him as a, a full-time point guard. I, I, I mean, get it with, with the role that he was in, but I always kind of saw him off the ball. Like, I, I will tell you, like, he went to Hoop Summit and was the best passer at Hoop Summit that year. Yeah. Like, he, he was really making strides. Yes, you're right that he was more of a big combo, like, exactly. in high school, yes. right? But it was very clear that he was, like, kind of making strides in terms of, like, uh, showing up and, uh, like, passing and making plays and doing things like that, right? Yes. So he, I, look, he, he he was a guard that also so filled it up. I'm just I'm pulling out his stats here. As a high school senior, he averaged 30 points per game, nine rebounds, five assists. Yeah, and like he was, he was point, and had success with USA Basketball. Yeah, like he was more of a scorer, but he was a lead. He was a primary who had the ball in his hands. He is nowhere near that now. Like he is a at best secondary, 
but really much more of just like a three and D guy now. And to me, that's what's like is so that's what's so impressive about Quentin Grimes. And why I just have like the most respect in the world for how he's gone about his business. Quentin Grimes was as far like down after that freshman season. Like it just looked like it was going to be bad. Like there are so many guys that are potential top 10 picks, five star recruits who just don't come back from that. Right. Like Trayvon Duval is one. Uh, Brandon McCoy stands out. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, you know, I, I don't know that we need to like name more names, but like there are a lot of these, a lot of these dudes who are top 10 guys, Cliff Alexander in their class. Chris Walker, like it happens. Yeah. They just, and they just kind of disappeared. They declare for the pros. And then again, I'm strange. So then a few years later, I'll I'll look up like what country they're playing in, but they're just kind of forgotten and they don't, they don't have these bounce backs, especially the one that Quentin Grimes have just don't really happen and and not to this level or a guy bounces back. It's a, it's a nice feel good story as a fifth year at a mid major. Like that guy's in the final four. It, and it's an immense credit to him that he just put his head down and did work. Like he knew to make the NBA, his game needed to change. He needed to essentially like humble himself. And I think that a lot of guys from the time that they're 16, 17, 18, like the world is at their fingertips, fingertips. And it's hard to do that. And in the case of Quentin Grimes, Quentin Grimes was more than willing to do that. And that's why he's back where he is. It's, such an incredible story. He has totally changed who he is as a player. He's changed his identity as a player. And now that he's done that, and now that he's had success finally figuring out, okay, I can be this as a shooter and a super high-level defender, we're starting to see a little bit more of the ball-handling stuff that he had when he was younger come out, more off of advantage situations than like yes. out of pick and roll, right? But yeah, if he can sure. combine even just a little bit of that... I think it's enormous for like his profile as a player going forward into the NBA, and and probably ends up in in the forties ish range. I don't I don't think he's going to be fifties sixties anymore. Maybe somebody reaches a little bit earlier than that. But kind of like the identity thing, and and one of the guys I want to talk to you about here, staying in the state of Texas, is Jericho Sims. Yep. Because with Jericho Sims, I know you had him a little bit higher than most, and I watched so many Texas games this year. And it's almost unbelievable that the Texas front court had him, Kai Jones, and Greg Brown, and he's the guy, draft time right now anyway, that we're talking about the most. I mean, he seemed at the combine even more athletic than he was. He was already freakishly athletic, trying to dunk and taking one dribble, turning, exploding, extending. He was skying for rebounds. He had a one dribble floater out of a short roll. I'm like, who is this guy? Uh, he had 18 and 6 his last combine game. He had one game his senior year at Texas where he scored more than that, and that was 21 points in the Big 12 championship game versus Texas. So it's not that I didn't take him serious as a prospect. It was more, he always did enough but i was hyper focused on those other bigs and maybe it's a testament to his ability rather than greg brown's inability that shaka smart would use sims to close games or run lob plays for him underneath out of bounds so what do we do with a guy like jericho sims who i don't want to say was a a prisoner of the system at texas but he has this really eye-opening performance he measured crazy he showed it on the court too where previously he was probably in that like 60 plus itch range uh, jericho sims was 100 percent a prisoner of the roster at texas tech I don't, I don't think he was a prisoner of the system but 
think about how many great like NBA bigs he's been stuck behind. Like in 2018, when he was a freshman, he was stuck behind Mo Bamba until Bamba got hurt that year. 2019, he was stuck behind Jackson Hayes, Jackson who went Hayes, in the top yeah. 10. Mm-hmm. 2020, he got like more of a chance to play, right? And played a more significant role. Having said that, like, I don't remember if Will Baker made the McDonald's All-American game, but like he was a five-star big that yeah, came in. Yeah, no, he was good, skilled, lefty, shoots and scores it. I thought he was going to be good. Right, an Austin yeah. kid. Not like you have to take him, but it, it makes sense you take the hometown kid if Texas is in Austin. And then by the end of the year, you start to hear more about Kai Jones, right? Because last year oh, was yeah. the year that Kai Jones, like, you, know, you could see the flashes by the end yes. of the year. And then this year, obviously, Kai is there. Kai emerges as a top 20 guy. Greg Brown's there. Greg Brown's a top 10 recruit. Like, he was, Jericho Sims was absolutely a prisoner of the roster to where I, I'm at fault here as well. Like, I was just not paying attention to Jericho Sims until I went back and, like, I specifically probably a month ago, three weeks ago, I went back and watched probably six or seven texas games just for jericho sims like not for <laughs> I, I was doing that last night i was watching every single pick and roll roll he had i said what did i miss what did i miss right here? because i it, it's not that I, I thought i missed something it was more i want to give this guy a fair shake because i when i watched him this year i thought he was a great defender uh it, it was a joke that he didn't make the big 12 all defense team I think I've said that a couple of times on this podcast. I'm just going to say it again. All, all, all your all-defense teams, throw them out the window. Pac-12, Big 12, anything that's a 12, your defensive team stink. I mean, like, no disrespect it's to okay. Jared we don't, Butler. It's okay. We don't have to go off the track, but yeah. Like, no, no disrespect to Jared Butler, but, like, watch what Jericho Sims was doing this year and be like, yeah, Jared Butler was better defensively than that guy. I mean, yeah, there's just, steel, like, no... Steal rate percentage, yeah. yeah well, you can quantify a lot of the stuff, too, because he, he would rotate and block shots and, and be a physical presence, and you can't right. really put... A hard number on that. The guy averaged nine and seven each of the last two years. He shot sixty five percent plus from the field. I'm not surprised, although not totally, totally shocked either. It was just strange when I turned in the game. I had the roster. I wrote down everybody. I just found myself like keep writing down notes about Jericho Sims. I was just kind of like taken aback that I was watching this guy unfold as even more stylistically of the the type of rim running big fast quick protects the basket down the other end that nba teams want in the second round and there's guys like jericho sims and his level and his ability that make teams take pause in the first round for drafting bigs when you can get that guy in the 50s and it's not a a total drop off in talent level where maybe the first round you are taking a chance on a wing with a, a plus five wingspan that shot the bell well, but maybe needs a little bit of fine tuning rather than taking that big early and hoping for a kind of like a two way wing later in the second round. No. And the other thing about this is too with Jericho Sims, like I, I can't really like emphasize enough how good he is on defense and why nba teams that i've talked to have brought up okay like dayron sharp came in with all of this hype and publicity right dayron sharp is nowhere near as effective at basketball as jericho sims is right now like he's just not because of the defense like jericho can go out and switch on the perimeter he can protect the rim at a higher level he's probably not quite as good of a rebounder as dayron sharp but he's good enough to where it doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things and he's like 
an elite level finisher, like one of the best finishers in the draft, whereas Dayron Sharp has to like put it back a couple times on his end. Like mm-hmm. it's more of like an Andre Drummond uh, thing with Dayron. So with these with these pieces with the with the five on five combine pieces, then with Jericho Sims breakout, how important to you is that versus the tape where we saw some of those flashes, but he never did this like ever. And, and offensively, we're, now we're talking about yeah. two games. Yeah. No, offensively, I, I don't really know what to do with him. Um, it, it's interesting. Like, the short roll floater that you brought up, like, that's something, like, oh I've never God. fucking seen. <laughs> he caught like, him, like, this is going over the backboard. It was one dribble, and uh, he hit a floater. I, was, I expected him to extend and, and rip the basket down, but he hit it, and I was, I, I think I gasped. I, I didn't know he had that in his bag. Yeah, Maybe, like, he, if, maybe he just, like, panicked, like, ah, I gotta go. Yeah, like, if he has that stuff in his game, like, he's definitely a backup center in the NBA. Like, no yeah. question. Yeah. <laughs> But we'll, put I think him, that the, we'll put him like 12th just so people freak out. I think that the big thing with Sims, though, is like what he did at the Combine is not that different from the tape if you just go back and watch Jericho Sims on his own. I think that that's what struck me. Um, I know that like Sims was like 80th on my board or 90th or whatever on my board like a month and a half ago before I like really went back and like did a deep dive on him. But if I'm telling you, if you go back and you watch the tape, it's really not that different. Like he was out there like locking up Austin Reeves, who is shifty as shit. Like And not fouling him. And, and not fouling him drunk fouls. Yeah. Out in space. Like it was mm-hmm. unbelievable how fluid and athletic this guy is. Like it's the tape is real with Jericho Sims. Like this is not like I'm trying to think of a guy who was in this um, in this combine where the tape doesn't really match the play, right? Um, in a good way or a bad way? Uh, in, in a bad way, where like it's just different than what we saw uh, in school. Um, uh, look, I, I, I hate to do it, but probably Johnny Juzang. Like his tape was a lot different the last couple weeks of the year than we saw in the combine. He was three for ten in the first game. He was two for eleven the other, and the shot just like didn't even look right. And yeah, we probably put too much stock in the the NCAA run, and and that's fine. But I, it just it wasn't the same type of play. I thought the pace was a little too fast for him. He did back down his man for kind of like a short turnaround jumper, but settled for a couple threes. He needed more time to get to his move. It didn't pair well with with where he was at UCLA. It looked more of kind of like that lost season at Kentucky, and and I thought it would be more the form of the high school swagger, the UCLA end of the year run with shot creation, and it just didn't it just didn't translate as well. It didn't look the the same as what we saw. No, I'm I'm with that. Uh, it was it was unfortunately frustrating to watch him and like or like someone like David Duke this year, right? Like David Duke, like where he was so effective weirdly was like as a pull up three point shooter. Providence, mm-hmm. like you go back through yes. and you watch his like finishes at the rim. He's a terrible finisher at the basket. Like l- let me pull up the number I have. Uh, it was it, it's just like heinous. Um, he finished. It is, and why uh, you find it too? Like the the pull up stuff from three. It was a lot of it was like end of the shot clock too, like tough shots that he would knock down. Yeah, keep Providence it, in a lot of games. And by the way, the shot is ugly. Like I, I don't think the shot really works mechanically either. But he made thirty four and a half percent of his shots at the basket in half court settings this year. Yeah. You, there are six hundred ninety two players in the country <laughs> to take at least sixty shots at the rim in half court settings this year on non post ups. What do you think David Duke finished? among all of those 692 players 573 690th oh god who is 91 and 92 i, was uh, I don't 
I don't remember. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, the whole list there. Let's bury someone else's draft stock. Yeah. But but like that that's stuff that like shows up on tape and it showed up in the combine too, unfortunately. Um, but on top of that, David Duke also did not take the pull up three stuff that made sense for his game, right? And like made his game work this year. <coughs> Yeah, but that made sense at Providence because they needed it when A.J. Reeves was struggling and, and he needed a basket. Like, he had to take some of those tough shots. We, we talked about James Booknight had to take some of those tough shots because no one else was going to get one. So it also was a, a change of style for David Duke where he wasn't this alpha with the ball in his hand and had to make something happen. Now he had to do it within the flow of the offense and you get this five, six-minute stretch and then there's another guard behind you coming back in. You have to make quicker moves and you're not going to have as many opportunities to show your one-on-one ability either yep okay let's um let's just rapid fire through some players uh i'll give a first one uh raekwon gray please just like get in shape like i i I beg you uh he's a very talented player who i think has a genuine chance to stick in the nba uh he is such a fascinating skill set he is a six foot eight like semi big man who can also run some point for Florida state and do a lot of different stuff. He came in at 17.3% body fat, which is the highest since 2010 when Dexter Pittman uh, had a body fat that was, I think like 20 to be honest, if I remember correctly. Um, Raekwon Gray is a genuine chance to be an NBA player, but the Raekwon Gray that was at the combine does not have a chance to be an NBA player. I, I would implore him, please get into um, get that down to like you know eleven percent body fat, maybe. Yeah, cosine, and I never thought he was the most athletic guy, but the lack of athleticism in his game really showed. He was blocked a lot. He's blocked yep. a lot when he turned to face and short little jumpers and at the rim. He didn't even like use his size to his advantage to kind of like seal off that guy with the off arm and finish with the righty hook. Didn't do as much perimeter stuff either. And some of that could be the Florida State system allowed him to and set him up to come off those high ball screens, whereas he was kind of like picking and popping, trying to show he could shoot from three. So he, I had him a. Uh, higher than than i wish i did based on what he showed here but there's there's still some stuff and the feet and the feel that it could end up being a, a better thing down the line but but he's not ready now probably dropped himself a, a couple spots based on this week yeah um just a bummer like I, I was disappointed in that to be honest i was very disappointed that he showed up like that any who, who's next for you let's just wrap i got a bu- I, 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 I got a bunch in, in a good sense i'm gonna say josh primo because the, yeah. the guy played one game, I know he shut it down, but he probably played more point guard there than he did all year at Alabama. And he's, yep. he's a better passer than was given credit for. He looked more athletic. He looked confident off the bounce. He got in the lane. He dropped off his big when the other man rotated. He was darting one-hand passes. He wasn't in this hyper-offensive mode where I have to show I can shoot. It was more of let me show what else I can do facilitating. And then he had an interview on the, the Combine show, and the feedback you get from NBA teams is he is crushing his interviews. He's composed. He tells yep. his story, his journey, where he's going, where he wants to go. And uh, when a lot of guys, I don't know if you want to say, are ducking work, like he wanted all of it. He at least showed and played a game, and he's going to end up, uh, to me, somewhere in that late first-round discussion. Yeah, I, I will just say, like, I don't even know that he really helped himself at the combine, mostly because the teams that I talked to ahead of time, like, were just high on him. Like, they, they just liked him. You know what I mean? Like, it's not. I do. Like, he was. The youngest player in college basketball. Yeah, it's not like he was so amazing throughout the combine that, oh my God, like, he jumped up into that second round, like, early second, late first conversation. I'm telling you, for some teams, he was already there. Like, this is not. No. Um, yes. 
This is nothing new. We're not breaking with Josh news. Primo. Yeah. But consensus, at least forward facing for a lot of the the draft stuff we see online, he was mostly kind of like the 40s and 50s, and now he, he's slowly creeping up. And for a guy that was show and prove, at least if it's like a, a net neutral and someone in that conversation discussion, I, it was positive for me. I took away positives yeah. from Josh Primo. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I'll, I'll do the champagnes next. Uh, for okay. the whole year, I've been kind of on the, I think that Julian is better than Justin train. Uh, I think I've been wrong. I, I think that we're switching we're switching brothers. Yeah, uh, Act Three. I, I think that Justin is the one that I would want at this point, and it's purely because I think that at some point you can maybe teach him to shoot, and then on top of it, if you teach him to shoot, he is one hundred percent an NBA player. Like that dude plays with such a fire and intensity, like an energy motherfucker. Got a technical and a. Combine I was going to say, game. the first technical like, combine history. I, I had somebody text me and scout said, did Champagne just get a technical foul? I said, yeah, he, he spiked the ball. He talked a little noise. Like, he deserved it. But that's <laughs> I amazing. That. I haven't seen that move. I, I, that was like the uh, the Under Armour serve Champagne coming out. I've, I've seen that pre-college. I didn't see that post if you're trying to impress NBA guys. But maybe that was impressive. Maybe they're like, he, he cares. He showed some fire. He, he wanted a defensive stop. He thought it was a turnover. Oh no, I, I love it. Like I am so happy he got that technical. Like well, people are shooting when you <laughs> watching it, someone was shooting free throws down the other end. Even the announcers were like, Did he just get a technical foul? Is that where we're shooting free throws here? I didn't know it was like defensive three seconds and then they, they showed the clip. I said, Oh man. But it's just the way that he plays with that fire, plays with that intensity, really uh just reads the play really well too. Um like there are no wasted steps, no wasted movements in his footwork and he gets off the ground so quick and he reacts to the ball. Like it's, it's a real skill set that I think is if he gets to the point where he's like 220 pounds and can shoot, he is a fascinating small ball four for today's NBA. Got to shoot everything else I'm with. Yeah. Like I, I have, um, I think it like 50, right now like something like that but like he would be one of my priority two-way guys like i would i would be like okay we're gonna give you a two our plan is to give you a two-way if it's summer league you prove to us that you're ready to shoot sooner rather than later we will give you a guaranteed deal but if you don't shoot well the uh at summer league we're gonna give you a two-way and then maybe guarantee you down the road like and, I'm, and who know and who knows with summer league, but where he's at right now for his skill set and style of play, he'll, he'll crush the G League. If he ends up in the G League, like he he will be. I'm saying not say yeah. the numbers going to be astronomical, but he's the perfect type of player that franchises would like to take a chance on and plant down there and, and see if it works. Yeah, and, and Julian, like uh, Julian's still testing the draft process. I don't want to say Julian was bad. He he was like okay. I thought throughout the week, uh, I, I think there's a real case for him to return to St. John's, to be honest. Uh, Justin is fully in uh, to the NBA draft, so that's just the reality of his situation. But yeah, with, with Julian, I, I think there's a real case for him to go back. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I didn't see enough to say that guy should stay in the draft. Yeah. All right. You're up. I'm going to stay positive, positive here. I'm on with Bones Highland because we didn't know yeah. if he was going to play. And we talked about last podcast. We said if he plays, he's going to go. I didn't know he's going to go like this. I know he's going to have 13 points in, in six minutes, hitting threes, pulling up a transition, pointing to people, pressuring defensively, stealing in the backcourt. And, and then it was like people were tweeting about it jokingly, saying he should shut it down at, at halftime after that play. He shut it down after one game. But he was able to 
show the people there and show the scouts and NBA personnel that he can be this instant offense type of player. He measured at 6'3 with a 6'9 wingspan. I'm still drawn to his story, overcoming adversity in his life, and a, a kid who, who's been through a lot. And two years later, after playing the spring of his senior year, he's maybe like a first, late first-round guy for someone that comes off the bench and, and gives a little bit of a spark. So anytime a guy will, will actually step in and play when a lot of players were told by agents not to, it, it will impress me. And he did it. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I was a big fan of Bones coming in. I was really glad that you mentioned him as someone that you thought was going to break out at the Combine. Um, yeah, just a terrific player. Uh, I, I've been I've been on the Bones over Trey Mann like, hype train for months now so i'm i'm there i'm a big bones guy i have them both like you know 31 32 33 34 something like that okay uh i guess that if you're gonna keep taking the positive ones i will take the negative <laughs> i have ones. a few negative ones but i want to shoot all my positive <laughs> bullets first um yeah, max a smith l- no look, that was next yeah <laughs> like yeah I, I haven't really gotten it personally throughout the draft process. Uh, did not measure well as expected. Uh, I, I was told by people that were there, like he didn't even shoot well. Like the ball was coming out of his hand differently every single time. Uh, and I got that from like a writer that was there in addition to like two scouts that were there that the shot just looked different and weird. Um, 160 pounds, you know, small arms. And then just didn't play well. It's five on five. Like did not did not look like this was his level, uh, for a guy that is going to be a defensive liability because he's a defensive liability in college, um, let alone in the NBA where he's just going to get hunted drastically at his size every time. I, I mean, look, I, I think Max Asmus can shoot. Like I'm not worried about the shot. Yeah, like going back to the, right. you know, going back to the thing with Wieskamp. Like I don't really care if the shots fell for Max Asmus at the combine. Um, I care more about what the rest of the game looked like and how it looked like it would translate. And it just didn't, unfortunately, right now. Uh, I absolutely think he should go back to school. I I would concur with that. He he did look really small, especially when he was trapped. And he was switched, I believe, one play on on Joe Wieskamp. And it was breathtaking how, (laughs) like, the disparity in in just size. Even when Dwayne Washington switched on him and Dwayne Washington spread his arms out to play defense, it was like, this guy's not going around him. And when you go two for 10 and the shot, it's not hitchy because the, I don't want to label as that because the guy led the, the nation scoring most of it coming off pick and roll and, and pulling up. But there is kind of like that little slow a, a touch pause at the top. It, it does always, doesn't always look like the cleanest. So when you're small, you don't shoot it well and you're not, we talked about previously, it's not Oral Roberts where every single player getting a ball screen and eventually the, the bigs in your guard are getting it worn down. He wasn't able to really, uh, show his best qualities within a scheme that fit more of the team than it did him as an individual. So, yeah, I stalked down a little bit. I, I'm with you. I wasn't nearly as high. And, and when he was kind of mentioned in some first-round conversations and, and other places in, like, the early 40s, I, I kind of had to dig back in the tape and see if I was missing. So reinforced where I was at and hope he goes back and can put some things together and get a little bigger and stronger, too. Yep, I agree with that. You go ahead next. Uh, I've I've only got one more after this. Yeah, I, I I got one more. Eh, I got two more, but let's go with uh, let's go with Jason Preston. Cool. So uh, I like Jason Preston. I'm a fan. Uh, with his size, he was 
able to extend over the top of, of DJ Stewart on the drive, and DJ Stewart's a little bit small anyway, but passed it well, ran the offense. Uh, I am concerned how he kind of picks his dribble up too early from the perimeter, and he gets away with some bad habits for just being physically taller and longer than guys. Great pass with timing and placement, and with his pocket passes, ball reversals. He looks more at ease when that first game, when his team was up like 25 and the tempo was a 10, he was like, okay, this is my style of basketball. The scouts I've talked to are still concerned about the jump shot and his numbers were fine the second game at 4.7 assists two for five from the field the jumper being where it is right now i wouldn't feel comfortable drafting him in that upper level of first or even like mid-second round i i hope he goes back to school uh i was just curious of kind of where you netted out with him yeah i agree with you for the most part um I'll be honest, like I thought that his vision was amazing and played really well in that setting. He was so good at drawing defenders. I thought the passing was like a little bit off. Like, he, it, w- Yeah, it was off a little bit in the half court. When he could start doing full court stuff and his two-on-one, three-on-two break, that's where I thought he shined through a little bit. Right. Uh, so I, I, I get that. Like I get what Jason Preston, I, I get the skill set. And I actually like moved him up a little bit even though I wasn't like an enormous fan, like I thought he looked fine at the combine, but look like I had him below David Duke. I had him below Dacian Nix. I had him below Derek Alston. I had him below Matt Mitchell and like, you know, Eve Pons and guys like that. Right. So Mm -hmm. I thought that I needed to move him up a little bit on my board. And I did, I have him, you know, somewhere in the vein that you do like in the fifties, like in in more like the late fifties right now. Um, I agree with you. I think he should probably go back to school. Uh, if he can shoot, like if he can actually prove that he can be a shooter, he has a real chance to go in the first round next year. Like someone, someone like Max A. Smith, to be honest, like we both said that, like, we think he should go back. But if Max A. Smith goes back, what, what is the upside for Max A. Smith? He's probably not going to a sweet 16 again, right? Yeah, probably. Eh, he could lead this nation scoring, but you're right. He's he's right. sort of what he is, and the shot wasn't bad. It was, it was bad in this setting. He's not growing taller. Maybe it's a little bit physically stronger. Shows he can play uh, like relax. No, I'm not saying off the ball is a two, but kind of like hit away and go through, play off it, and not take the ball up every play and have the offense revolved around him. Right, but but, but like, 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 but I don't think the net result is all of a sudden he's going to bounce up 25 draft spots. Right, like the upside for him is you know maybe he can be a second round pick. I think with Preston, if he goes back, like I think the upside is if he shoots and like gets fluid as a pull up jump shooter, that guy could go like top twenty next year. I think, and it wouldn't yeah. be insane. So I do hope he goes back. To be honest, I think there's a lot of real potential in his game, and I think he's really close to realizing it, and I think he's really close to setting himself up for an easier start to his NBA career than like leaving now and having to fight a little bit for it. No, it totally makes sense. Okay. Um, the, the last guy I wanted to bring up was Josh Christopher. Perfect. You're you're calling my brain. Those are my last two. Preston Christopher covering all of them. Where were you at on Christopher? Cause I, I look, I've been negative enough on this show. (laughs) Shaq was okay. Uh, Josh Christopher, I do applaud him for for not ducking and actually playing five on five. I'd argue that similar to some of the other guys, and it, it's different scales with, with 
owns in Primo here, but it didn't really hurt or help a stock. That's what I looked at. He put up some numbers that first game, many of which it, it was a blowout, and, and people tweeting that he showed this and that. Like The game was, was long decided. He still wants to shoot at every touch. More of a similar to what I said earlier, a little bit of a reinforcement, maybe bumps him a little bit up in the board, but didn't do enough to say, man, we were a little too hard on the kid. This is a top 15 pick, top 20 guy. Uh, maybe not hard enough on him. He's not in the 50s for me, but still sort of in that similar type range. Range that I had him, not the range of the 50s, to be clear. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, I, uh, he is where he is for me. Like, he didn't move up or down. Like, it, it was what, just What fine. number was he before, roughly? I, I, I had him at, you know, 43. I think he's I at, have like, him at 40, right. 41, yeah. Yep. And, and the reason that he's there is because, yes, he was aggressive. Yes, I love the mentality of going and playing, right? Like, I think that says a lot about a kid, and I was very impressed that he did it. Having said that, Josh Christopher also turned it over five times in the first game, and I think he went like one of ten from three over the two games. And yes, what are the didn't two, shoot What are the two things that Josh Christopher needs to do for NBA scouts <laughs> to show that D. he can play yeah. a role in the <laughs> right. NBA? Right, those things. Yeah, handle so the ball, like, not take wild shots, hit it better from three. I, I respected. I respected that he was as aggressive as he was on the glass. I respected that he played and he played well, but I, I don't know, man. Like, I'm just not, uh, I, I could be more impressed, I, I guess, like just in terms of the way that his game actually works. Like Kessler Edwards, you saw how Kessler Edwards' game would work in the NBA, even though he didn't play as well as he possibly could have. Josh Christopher played well, but the same concerns about how the game works exist. Yes, there's no, there's no shift in that. The, the right. concerns of question marks are still there. They're not as, as heavy, but they're they're not going away yet either. Right. Um, okay. That's that's all I've got on the combine. Do you have uh, you have anything else you want to mention? My only other mention is that everyone looks good in pro days. Uh, everyone hits every shot. It, it looks I, great. Every, everyone's in awesome shape. Everyone's going off the dribble. Everyone's being vocal, active, showing what they didn't show during the year. It, it's like I, I like to compared to official visits for college everyone has a good official visit they're great they're the best that's why some coaches don't talk to guys for 24 hours once they get back they're high school coaches because if you come back in a great time you're supposed to if you have a bad time if you have a bad pro day probably bad right it's like it's, it's supposed to be awesome so i like it when there's james book night showing he completely altered a shot and i got enough text saying like this jump shot might be real but he's, Cooper he's always the, had touch like he's, he's had he's he's had touch, but look now you don't have a guy on you. He's not kicking out his legs as much, but he, he's shooting the the crap out of the ball. Good, but like for everyone else on the periphery, he took nine a, uncontested shots last year. <laughs> like, right, he took he hit nineteen <laughs> straight in, in, in a workout video posted. So it's just no defenders. My point being that you're supposed to look good at pro day. Pro day. We're supposed to build you up. If you don't look good, there's a, a way bigger issue there. That's a, a tiny piece and in, in all the pieces that matter, but let's not put too much stock into those things anyway. I do not care about pro days. Like, I can't emphasize that enough. I don't nah, give a fuck about them. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, the combine's long been over, and NBA scouts are still in Chicago because these pro days will not end. I mean, they're just like every hour on the hour for the next three days. Right, and the number of texts I get from executives that are like, fuck, I have to go to this... <laughs> stupid pro day when can i get out of chicago yeah like ugh, to sit through pro day like i'm not gonna name names that's rude um but like it's 
it's a it's an event set up purely to make the player look good. It is set up in like scripted ahead of time in terms right. of the workout. Exactly. Like yeah. they're comfortable in the setting. I care about what a player looks like when he's uncomfortable. Like, exactly. Yeah. And well, look, this this is ties back to everything we're saying. You want to see a guy play uncomfortable on the road, higher response. I know it's a COVID year, so there really wasn't like a road. Everything is a road, but like that's more important than shooting in an empty gym with somebody in like the the front row and some scouts. And you'll be nervous, but you're, it's just you versus the basket. You just got to lock in there. It, it's different than you're you're playing on how a team switches on. Uh, whatever side ball screens like there's different I want to see how your brain works when you have to make basketball decisions and not how do I catch and shoot and just plant one foot and hopefully I make it if not I'm going to get three more passes in the next 25 seconds for these guys right like the Sharif Cooper one is the one that got the publicity because of the video of Omar Cooper his father throwing the ball at his head like I don't care whatever whatever works for you guys I (laughs) don't care Um, but we watch Sharif Cooper throughout this season have like a drastic lean on his shot, right? Like he leans back on the shot. He didn't have that in the pro day. You know why he probably didn't have it in the pro day though? He lost the cock back of the head to the left too. It it did look better. Straight up and down, but go ahead. But but you know why? Because there wasn't a guy running at him and Sharif Cooper six foot one and has short arms. SEC because everyone's six eight and has seven foot wingspan. He he'd shoot like that anyway though. He would kind of do that thing if you go back and watch high school stuff or him on the UIBL or or even that Auburn. Like he he did naturally have that lean back, but yeah, it's probably built up from years of being small and have to shoot over people. Right. So, like, I just, I'm staggered. Like, why do we, why do we think that that's a changed shot now? It's, if, it he's strange, not, if he doesn't have a guy running at him. Because yeah, that's the it, important it, well, thing. He's going to have a guy running at him. He's going to have to take Sam, a contested he, he, shot. He had a like, basketball coming at his head. He can't do everything at once. So he's got to dodge that like a pros and Joes thing. Like he's, He locked in. He, he looked like he's in good shape. Uh, you hope that the jumper and those things actually do work when you're, you're playing five on five. And it's not just your uh, training kind of for like the workout and for the drill specifically. And that happens yeah. in some of the combine stuff too. They they agencies and, and workout places you'll train for the three-quarter court sprint you'll train for the shuttle drill you'll train for whatever else stuff they do there so it's it's not always the, the real basketball movements either yeah I, I get it i just can't like I, I i like and this is not me like talking shit about sharif like i hope that the shot is changed um but there's no evidence based off of that that the shot's changed like this isn't this isn't real i mean there's no one running at him what, i mean well, yeah we, we i don't know what's real life i think we're i don't yeah. want to give a complete hand wave hand geez, hand wave to the combine either because there are a lot of good things you take out of it and how guys do respond when they miss a shot and well the, now the combine is showing could pass a little bit and now this guy's crushing the interview portion and uh, his wingspan was plus four not plus three great but just don't don't invest in all the pro day stuff out there that's well, the, com- the combine is different because the players are in positions that they are not trained for, right? Or they're trained for, but they're not like exactly, um, they're not exactly applicable to the things that they've specifically been doing. Like, sure, pro days are scripted. The combine is not scripted in terms of players knowing what positions they're exactly going to be put in on the court during five on five. It's competitive. Yes. It's different. You got to check the ball at some point, right? So the combine is just like a way different beast, I think. Like it's like comparing apples and oranges, I think, uh, to these pro days. Uh, 
you know, good good for the agencies that they've you know fooled everyone into thinking these things are relevant. But like, <laughs> I people mean, stuck around. Maybe that's our spin. Next year we go to the combine. We'll well, we'll actually do the pro day beforehand. Well, people stick you around. I, you and I will go through it. People stick around just to make it seem like you know they're interested in the player because like it's valuable to flag interest. I guess. I mean, yeah. yeah I, I don't think pro days are valuable. I I, I do not care about pro days. Um, I go to them occasionally and literally do not watch the product on the court. I just go and like <laughs> hang out and talk to people. Intel gather. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I'm out. I'm out on the pro day experience. Uh, okay, Penny, the last segment we want to finish on is from this point forward in the summer, we're going to have Penny shine a light on a couple of recruits that he saw over the course of his weekends running events. And, you know, we just want to we want to be positive here. We're, we're excited to talk about kids that uh, played well and caught Penny's eye. This weekend, I was. It's nice when you go to an event, you're not running, and you can actually sit and evaluate. So I was at Avon Old Farms, part of the NEPSAC, which is New England Prep School Athletic Conference, I guess, showcase. So it had 550 players, 80 teams. It was a little bit of. Um, it was a good showcase to see a lot of guys, but also running clock and. You don't get a ton out of it, but you see enough to, to make some judgment. So I'm going to point out two guys that, that I liked or were highly ranked. So the first one was Kyle Filipowski from Wilbraham and Munson. He was Massachusetts Gatorade Player of the Year this past season. Six foot eleven, inside-outside game, some guard-type skills from the perimeter. Finishes well with both hands. He runs the floor hard, more fluid than you would expect at his size. Sees cutters pass as well. Had a ton of high major head coaches there. He actually just had an offer from Duke and a, an offer from Michigan. Uh, a top 20 guy for sure with a chance to rise is sort of this new school stretch big that can do a little bit on uh, outside the paint as well. Okay. I'm really glad. Can you, can you kind of explain what NEPSAC is, by the way? Yeah, sure. That, that's just like the, the overall prep school conference up here. I, I think it was like 80 schools and it's divided up into divisions. And it was just a, sort of like a jamboree style event where – Everyone came in, played a game Friday, a game Saturday, and a game Sunday. And it was open to college coaches. So if you see a, a lot of uh, – if you follow recruiting guys on your, your Twitter timelines, you'll see a lot of offers kind of coming out the last two weeks. And that's because a lot of assistant coaches have set the table for the head coaches, and some schools aren't allowed to really offer until the head coach can kind of give the seal of approval. So that's why a lot of the blue butt offers you see them out there. It, it's due to that. Yeah, I think I saw a kid named Owen Freeman just got an offer from Indiana – like I, I don't, I don't follow recruiting close enough to know like the 2023 kids at this point, really. So one 2023 kid, and the last one I'll talk about here is from Brewster Academy, Matas Buzelis, and I've watched him now. I, I'd see him on film, but now I'm, I've seen him at Pangos, and then here this spring, this weekend. Six foot nine, Lithuanian native, wants to play the one, but sort of more of an interchangeable piece at one through three. Really great feel and vision. Sees the play develop a touch faster than everybody else knocks down open shots a real balance to his game is a 2023 guy a little thin but he's he's 10 to 15 pounds away from being a a really really special project and prospect and he has time because he's just a uh, still just a baby in, in that sense I'm so sorry, i did, was uh did you say like what kind of like teams what what level he'll be looking at Oh, for modest, I mean, these guys are both top 20 guys. I, I know the, okay. the game theory. The game theory isn't as interested in how deep in the weeds we get on the low pluses and mids who we love dearly and I love dearly. But I, I figured to keep it sort of on brand for guys we may be talking about in a couple of years. Okay. Yeah. It's at some point I want, I want like the, I want the like 
two star kid that like goes. Oh, nuts. I'm in. Yeah, I'm in. And, and look, it, I'll get more of that going forward because we have our first event is July eighth in uh, Atlanta, Georgia, really Cartersville, Georgia, and we have 200 teams and we have guys from all different levels and. This is the time of year where guys show more and become national names that weren't before. I love it. Matthew Penny, tell the people where they can find you on the Internet and anywhere <laughs> else that you live <laughs> other than your house my, in Boston. My, yeah, when my son is, is screaming and we get it off and you still hear the motorcycles in the background because I do still live in the city. I, I live next to the street. I'm on Twitter as well. I'm Matt underscore Penny. Has been a little bit of a an uptick lately with uh with some content videos and people yelling because it is draft season and there's there's more eyeballs on what we do and don't do and and mess up on and hopefully sometimes some stuff we don't mess up on yeah you know we occasionally get stuff right that's been matt penny i'm sam vicini i am just finishing up draft guide stuff now i might have a couple of stories coming out over the next couple of weeks just um you know to do that for specific teams maybe one on the pelicans maybe one on uh the raptors i I don't know but they'll all be team ups with other writers because i am full like fully on the draft guide right now i'm like finalizing that hopefully uh when that'll come out i mean we're still we're hoping early ish july like the first half of july i I think is where we're going to estimate it um i I have written like 90 percent of it but it's you know we're, we're you know trying to upgrade it a little bit this year so we're excited about that but until next time please rate review subscribe do everything you can to support the show but we will talk soon bye